It's the show the establishment warned you about. That's right. It's the Dr. Tommy Show. Welcome back to Florida, the free state of Florida, where we broadcast from at the Echelon Health Studios. We're glad you're here. We're here in the free state of Florida, and although it is the first day of fall today, it is still forecasted to be 92 degrees. So if you add in the heat index, then we're probably looking at 100 degrees. But better than being uh, frigid in the in the winter, as I always say. Uh, we have a few things to talk about today. One of the things I wanted to cover was this. I saw this Mark Stein, the great Mark Stein, who used to substitute host for Mark uh, Rush Limbaugh, had this uh, video that he put up on his uh, YouTube site, I think it was. Anyway, it's from Great Britain News, where he was talking about excess deaths. Excess deaths mean deaths that are over and above what is normal for the years. So, for instance, in the years from 2010 to 2019, for instance, there was an average of X number of, X, uh, of deaths. And then in the recent years, after COVID, there's been uh, excess deaths. So there's more deaths than usual. And we're trying to figure out what those are about. And uh, like I said, he had this interesting video where he talks about a lot of young people dying unexpectedly. And you've seen this as called SADS. A lot of people are dying of SADS, S-A-D-S, which is kind of like SIDS, except for adults. So sudden adult death syndrome. So that's what they're called. And if you look at a lot of these cases, SADS, there's Calls unknown is the cause of death for a lot of these things. So I was, ran across this article from the Spectator in Australia. It says uh, we need to talk about excess, and then it says uh, brackets censored. So what they're saying is we need to talk about excess deaths, but we're not we're not allowed to say that, especially especially in the medical community. You're not you're not supposed to say that. So it says here this is from a guy named Zindu or a woman, I'm not sure. Anyway, it says, the Scottish COVID Recovery Committee is undertaking an inquiry into the death of excess deaths, into the cause of excess deaths. Data shows that the number of deaths in Scotland have been well above the five-year average for most of the time since the pandemic began. Curiously, excess deaths far exceed those accounted for by COVID. The long spate of excess, de- excess deaths is highlighted by the recent passing of a notable Scottish athlete, 37-year-old Rob Wardell. He died from an apparent cardiac arrest while lying in bed next to his partner, Olympic champion Katie Archibald, two days after winning a Scottish mountain bike title. So this is, I'm going to link this video that Mark Stein did, but it's in, uh, it shows this just guy, he's on the TV, he's talking, he's a picture of health. He had just won this Scottish title, like they said, and um, then unexpectedly, inexplicably, he dies two days later. Excess deaths are not only limited to Scotland, they have been noted around the globe. While total death toll from COVID-19 reaches 5.94 million at the end of 2021, the WHO estimate excess deaths within the same time frame is around 15 million. A systematic analysis in the Lancet of deaths from around the world during 2020 to 2021 put the figure of excess deaths at 18.2 million. This matches the model built by The Economist, which also suggests that the total excess deaths are over three times that accounted for by COVID. So early on in COVID, when COVID happened, I remember one of the things that was surprising to people is that the COVID deaths were not in excess of regular deaths. So it wasn't like COVID, at least from the figures, was killing more people than uh, would have died anyway during that year. So at least statistically speaking, people that may have died during that year 
died from COVID instead. So people who had heart disease or people who had uh, in stage other diseases, other chronic diseases may have died during that year if it weren't for not for COVID anyway, at least according to these statistics. But these are excess deaths. So they're saying here, these deaths occurred above and beyond what COVID uh, could account for. If normal patterns were followed, the large number of excess deaths among the elderly, who are by far the most vulnerable to COVID, would have peaked in the first two years of the pandemic and then fallen to below average levels in 2022 to compensate, as happens in bad flu seasons. However, excess deaths remain statistically higher than average for the elderly. Excess deaths are also increasing in the young, again strongly suggesting that this is occurring for reasons other than the COVID given that the extremely low mortality rate for those under 40. The Telegraph reported on August 18th that for the last 15, 14 of the last 15 weeks in England and Wales, there has been an average of 1,000 excess deaths each week, none of which were due to COVID. There are various hypotheses to explain these excess deaths. From the early days of the lockdown, many warned of the negative consequences of such a blunt, draconian, and myopic strategy, including the scientists from Oxford, Harvard, and Stanford universities who drafted the 2020 Great Barrington Declaration and tens of thousands of medical scientists and practitioners who have signed it. So this Great Barrington Declaration, if you remember, was put out very shortly after the lockdowns were announced, very shortly after Dr. Burks and Dr. Uh, Fauci became household names by promoting the lockdowns. Very shortly thereafter, that came this Great Barrington Declaration, which was signed by all these different, uh, like they said, scientists and practitioners. And the declaration basically said that lockdowns are not a good idea. They're short-sighted and they will lead to unintended consequences of which will be more dangerous than if we were just to let people uh, use their own judgment about whether or not they need to uh, withdraw from society to try to avoid COVID. Uh, it says here, their concerns have sadly materialized. In America, deaths from drug overdose broke records in 2020 and 2021. They will likely continue to do so in 2022. In the UK and America, deaths from alcohol abuse increased by over 19% and 25.5% respectively. Youth suicide noticeably increased during the pandemic in America, while a survey in Victoria found that nearly 10% of Victorians, or some 600,000 people, seriously considered suicide during the height of the extended 2020 lockdown. He says here, furthermore, as I have written previously, the pandemic response has resulted in dramatic reductions in people seeking medical care for other otherwise deadly disease illnesses, such as cancer and heart disease, leading to predictably protracted and elevated deaths from chronic illnesses that went undiagnosed and untreated, the, depth of which, the debt of which will continue to manifest for years. Ironically, multiple studies have found no evidence that lockdowns reduced COVID deaths. Another factor that has been little spoken of is mass vaccinations. This, dare we say it, unprecedented event needs to be considered in order to explain the youth deaths. Now, this is a part where if this was on YouTube, where it'd probably be um, not only flagged, uh, but removed. And um, Facebook would probably do likewise and Twitter and so forth. But this is just this is just for you to think about. Now, this is not saying this is the cause, but this is an allowance that you have if you're listening to this in a free part of the world where you can at least avail yourself to this. Like I said, this is not a declaration by myself or even this author that this is what the cause is. However, 
you are allowed as a free breathing individual, potentially wherever you're listening to this, to digest this and then uh, think for yourself. Okay, so here we go. A JAMA study has examined the deaths of over 192 million people in America who took the mRNA vaccines, Pfizer or Moderna, found that the risk of myocarditis after receiving this vaccine was increased, especially in adolescent males. We all know that, right? An earlier JAMA study found that among the more than 2 million people in America who took mRNA vaccines, causes of pericarditis were even more numerous after vaccination than myocarditis. A JAMA cardiology study examining more than 23 million people in four Nordic countries also found increased risks of myocarditis and pericarditis after mRNA vaccines, particularly in young males and especially after the second dose. A recent paper in circulation that examined more than 42 million people in England found that for men under the age of 40, the second dose of the Moderna vaccine was associated with much higher incidence of myocarditis than SARS-CoV-2 infection itself. Now that's not what we've been told. What we've been told is that the risk of vaccination does, there is a risk of myocarditis and pericarditis from vaccination, but it is much lower than the risk that is from COVID itself. That's what we've been told. Uh, although the mechanism of how vaccines may be causing myocarditis remains unclear, a similar phenomenon has been described following smallpox vaccination in young people. And then they have a link there. While the absolute numbers are fairly small, this phenomenon may well contribute to the sharp rise in the number of unexplained deaths among young athletes, which is a pattern seen globally across multiple sporting industries. The negative effects of the vaccines are not limited to inflammation of the heart. A thorough 2021 analysis of the phase three trial data from Pfizer, Moderna, and Janssen vaccines concluded that they have, may have caused more negative side effects than having done good. The German Ministry of Health recently released a statement that the reporting rate of severe adverse reactions after COVID vaccine in Germany was one in every 5,000 doses. Given most people have had at least two doses, the risk of severe adverse reaction is conceivably higher than one in 2,000 vaccinated people. Even for COVID itself, the vaccines may have negative effects. A September New England Journal of Medicine study found that in children between ages 5 and 11, the vaccines gave only temporary protection, which became negative within months, meaning that the vaccinated become more likely to be infected than the unvaccinated, whereas natural immunity from previous infections still offered around 50% protection after a year. This begs the question, is the haphazard vaccination of children increasing their vulnerability to COVID? The central tide regarding transparent analysis and public debate about vaccine adverse effects seems to be turning while adult-like discussion has only recently come possible. The former New York Times journalist Alex Berenson, who questioned the glowing vaccine PR in the early days of Max vaccine rollout, was banned from Twitter. He sued and won, as many of his criticisms and doubts have shown to be inaccurate. What is most concerning to me is that the lawsuit revealed that the White House had pressured Twitter into banning Berenson, effectively curtailing journalistic inquiry into an issue affecting the entire human species. And Berenson is by no means the only one who has faced censorship. If leaders around the world are willing to unscrupulously and severely disrupt the lives and livelihoods of billions of people for a virus that has killed 6.5 million people over two and a half years, for context, over 60 million people die each year. They are morally and ethically bound to at least investigate the causes of excess deaths that are three times as numerous, especially if some of the causes 
are likely the result of COVID policies. By the same token, those in leadership positions who have censored free inquiry, discussion, and debate during the pandemic should face serious scrutiny and consequences. I agree. I agree. Uh, like I said, this is uh, something that you're not supposed to talk about, especially if you're in a medical field, because it goes against what the status quo is, or I'm sorry, what the establishment says. And it goes against what the conventional wisdom is, is that the vaccines have done nothing but improve our light, our lot in life and have no, no uh, untoward effects other than what has been disclosed by these companies beforehand. And uh, we shall see. But this is something you seriously should uh, look into. Excess deaths. What is the cause of excess deaths? And what are the people in charge doing about it? Uh, what are they doing look, looking about? It? I can tell you that in, in the United States, at least amongst the medical establishment, nobody is looking at it. Uh, these these articles that are published, I'm surprised they're even allowed to be published in JAMA and the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, it's such heresy to even suggest that there could be something that was done by powerful individuals in the name of preventing COVID deaths that actually caused more COVID deaths, whether it be lockdown policies or whether it be the vaccines themselves. So we'll see. Maybe in the in the end, uh, sometime in another you know few years, or hopefully sooner than that, we'll have some concrete answers. But for the time being, excess deaths are on the rise, and they're still on the rise, and we still don't have a good answer. One thing is for sure: this Great Barrington, Great Barrington Accord that was written. If you remember, uh, the head of the NIH at the time, I f- forgot his name. Francis something or another. Anyway, he wrote to uh, Dr. Fauci and said that we need to basically we need to we need to we need to silence these people professionally and we need to make sure that no one gets this information and this doesn't this doesn't take traction. And uh, so that's 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 concerning when there's not there's not uh, you're not allowed to have a free discussion because like I said you should be able to have a free discussion, especially if it has something to do as, as important as autonomy, whether or not to take a vaccine, or if we're talking about whether or not we're going to force people to to potentially lose their homes because they can't practice their um, can't practice their livelihood or they can't provide for their families. Definitely, we have to talk about it, and we can't just be having people like Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burke saying that they know everything. But back to uh, social media. So they said that with Alex Berenson, the uh, Biden administration told Twitter that you need to uh, silence Berenson. Well, here's something that's from redstate.com. Facebook accused of monitoring private communications by conservatives. Facebook monitored private messages by people upset with the 2020 presidential election, subsequently sharing the content with the FBI. This comes from an article by the New York Post uh, reporter Miranda Devine. Devine, citing Department of Justice sources, states, somebody at Facebook red flagged these supposedly subversive, subversive private messages over the past 19 months and transmitted them in redacted form to the Domestic Terrorism Operational Unit FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. without a subpoena. It was done outside the legal process and without probable calls, alleged one of the sources who spoke on condition of anonymity. And it says, 
But when the targeted Facebook users were investigated by agents at a local FBI office, sometimes using covert surveillance techniques, nothing criminal or violent turned up. It was a waste of our time, said one of the f- one source familiar with the uh, subpoena request lodged during a 19-month frenzy by FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C., to produce the caseload to match the Biden's rhetoric on domestic terrorism after the Capitol riot. So they found nothing, basically. These people were getting on Facebook and saying to each other, you know, this is this election is BS, and they were unhappy about it. And then Facebook, without without being asked to, submitted this stuff to the uh, FBI. It says here, uh, the story follows a trend of Facebook and FBI having each other on speed dial. In September 2022, Brittany Sheehan reported here that following Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg's admitting on a Joe Rogan podcast episode that Facebook had deep-sixed the Hunter Biden laptop story at the FBI's request, Republican congressional leaders have put Zuckerberg and Facebook's parent company on notice they may want to avoid going Hillary Clinton on their communications with the FBI regarding the same. So basically, they're... Republicans are saying, don't destroy your communications. Uh, So this is uh, what you can expect if you're on uh, Facebook or any of these other places, Twitter. Uh, Don't expect any uh, legal protections to your communications. And don't don't expect that you will not be um, targeted and also monitored. You should expect that. And potentially, you should expect it now. You know, if listening to this podcast or giving a podcast like this, you should... You should expect that you're going to be monitored and you just have to, um, you have to be comfortable with that or not comfortable with it. Like I said before, you know, there's going to be a time in this election where people are going to be silenced, either uh, forcibly silenced by removing them from platforms or silenced by intimidation. And you have to decide for yourself whether it's worth it or not. And you have to decide for yourself whether or not you're going to as the saying goes, uh, die on your feet or live on your knees. Okay, this is some more stuff about FBI. This is from The Blaze. Whistleblower, whistleblowers claim FBI is trying to, quote, find white supremacy even where it's not there. Whistleblowers from within the FBI have come forward and argued that the agency, under direction of the Biden administration, has pressured agents to manufacture instances of so-called white supremacy, even out of behaviors that otherwise ought to be covered by the First Amendment. I saw there was this other uh, story here about Facebook or FBI cracking down on whistleblowers. I'll find that later. But anyway, this is interesting because they, you know, the Biden administration, and this has been going on since Trump was in office. The FBI has been saying over and over and over again that the main threat to Americans is domestic terrorism. And as far as domestic terrorism is concerned, is white supremacy. And uh, so far, none of this has really materialized. Um, as far as hate crimes are concerned, most of the hate crimes that occur, I believe, are, are committed uh, against Jewish people, um, which I guess could be a white supremacist doing that. But I, I as far as, uh, you know, white supremacy, most people don't know a white supremacist. I don't know a white supremacist. Uh, I know there are white supremacists out there, but to say that they're the biggest threat out there is white supremacy is, is kind of, I never really understood it. But then when the Biden administration came in and they started saying now, They've they laid out the premise before the FBI did, and the and the establishment said that white supremacy is the biggest threat, 
And then when Trump got out of office and then Trump challenged the election legally through constitutional means, lawsuits and such, now we're told that if you are supporting Trump, you're an ultra MAGA, you're a uh, semi-fascist, and you're potentially a white supremacist. So now you see how they said domestic terrorism is white supremacy, and then Trump voters are white supremacist. Therefore, domestic terrorism is white supremacy. White supremacists are Trump voters. Trump voters, Trump voters are domestic terrorists. You see how that works? Anyway. According to a report from the Washington Times, current and former FBI agents have stated the agency vastly misrepresents the actual threat that white supremacy poses to American security and democracy, but that agents within the Bureau are feeling pressure to find it anyway. The demand for white supremacy vastly outstrips the supply of white supremacy, one agent said. We have more people assigned to investigate white supremacists than we can actually find. So there's... They, they're telling them, look, we need white supremacists out there. We need headlines. We need to make this threat that we've said it is real. We need to have stories about it. It's not enough for us to just get on TV and talk about it incessantly. It's not enough for us to trot out Brock, uh, Joe Biden out there and have him read off a teleprompter about white supremacy. We need actual white supremacists arrested. And these FBI guys are saying, look, there's just there's just no white supremacists out there that we can arrest. Not in the numbers that you want. And it says here, this is again the FBI, the agent talking, whistleblower. We are sort of the lapdogs as the actual agents doing sorts these sorts of investigations, trying to find a crime to fit otherwise First Amendment protected activities. If they don't have a don't tread on me flag, which is a Gadsden flag, if they have a Gadsden flag, which is a don't tread on me flag, and they own guns and they are mean at school board meetings, that's probably a domestic terrorist. So that's what he's saying. They're... Um, their instructions are so if you go out there and you can find somebody which i could probably drive to go pick up my daughter and find one of these people at least driving down the road with a gadsden flag and if i stop them and ask them then they probably have been to a school board meeting and uh own a gun and then there you go they're a domestic terrorist uh, it says here congressional republicans have made similar claims about the white house claiming president biden and other democrats have attempted to criminalize political differences to portray those with different opinions as extremists and domestic terrorists absolutely and so this is what you're seeing now and this is uh, the ongoing fight against law enforcement social media big media big entertainment and uh, so long as you're on the right side of it politically, you don't have to worry about it, at least now. You may have to worry about it later, but you don't have to worry about it now. So, so long as you're not a Trump supporter, so long as you're a Democrat, so long as you uh, believe everything that they believe, you don't have to worry about it now. But that can change. So this is interesting. This is a, some news on Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis smashes record, cements legacy as one of the greatest governors. Uh, Ron DeSantis has smashed, this is from Western Journal. Ron DeSantis has smashed fundraising records and has now raised $218 million for his campaign war chest, more money than any governor in U.S. history. The massive campaign fund has fueled major speculation that DeSantis is eyeing a run for president in 2024. And with the national momentum he has now, that would be a natural assumption. I hope not. 
DeSantis' fundraising capabilities have always already caused Democratic insiders to bemoan, to, to bemoan the fact that whoever the West left wingers find to run for him against him for governor, the candidate won't be able to raise enough money. Well, we've already found that guy, and his name is Charlie Crist. And uh, according to this, this is from Interactive Polls on uh, on Twitter. It says the reports from Forbes that. Uh, Governor DeSantis has raised $218 million and Charlie Crist has raised $17 million. Can you believe that? It says, this is later on in the article, as Valiant News explained, DeSantis' $218 million and change dwarfs the $176 million raised by Illinois Governor J.D. Prickster, Prickster in 2018 and former Hewlett-Packard CEO Meg Whitman's 176 race for her failed California bid in 2010. Yeah, she did fail. Anyway, so that's good news for Ron DeSantis. He's at least <clears throat> he's outraising uh, Chris. Usually, what happens is the Democrats outraise the Republicans. Democrats excel in getting the small donations. I think if you use a, if you if you donate less than five dollars or something like that. Uh, there, there's some way that you can donate less than $5 and you don't have to track it or something like that. And the, <clears throat> well, at least what I've read is the theory is that a lot of these donations are made offshores through different entities. And these $5 increments are coming from people like George Soros, which wouldn't be surprising. I mean, that's the least we can expect. This is another thing about Ron DeSantis. It says, ex-Democrat mayor of the third largest blue county in Florida endorses DeSantis. Palm Beach County Commissioner David Kerner, this is from Daily Wire, announced this week that he will campaign every day between now and November to reelect Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Every day until November 8, I will campaign for Governor DeSantis. On November 8, I will vote for Governor DeSantis. And today, I proudly endorse Governor Ron DeSantis for re-election as the governor of the great state of Florida, Kerner said. So he's a uh, Palm Beach County Commissioner. So that's a big deal because this guy, uh, he was the mayor of the third largest blue county in Florida. Now he's Palm Beach County Commissioner, and he's endorsing DeSantis, which is great news for us. But again, back to what they said is that DeSantis may run for president, which would be a terrible thing for us in Florida because I don't want to have the um, possibility of having somebody like um, Andrew Gillum as governor. He was the guy that was the... Excuse me, challenger for DeSantis last time, and he barely nearly won. Subsequently, he was a uh, went into a uh, depression apparently, and uh, started doing drugs and drinking and partying with male escorts. So we don't need one of those guys running the country. Could you imagine if 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 Ron DeSantis was not the governor and Andrew Gillum was the governor? Andrew Gillum follows in the footsteps of people like Bernie Sanders and John Fetterman in that his only real job that he's ever had was in government. So uh, Bernie Sanders is a senator from Vermont. Before he was senator from Vermont, he was a congressman from Vermont. Before he was a congressman from Vermont, he was a mayor of a city called Burlington. And before that, he's that was it. That's his job that he's had. His career has been in government. So he's made the uh, he's he's gone through the farm leagues up into the big leagues. Now he's a multimillionaire socialist. Well, same thing happened with Fetterman. Fetterman went to Harvard. His family's apparently millionaires. 
nothing wrong with that. But he, he was supported into his 40s from his family. And then after he was in Harvard, he, he left Harvard and he went and became a mayor of this small town. And I don't know the name of the town, but he's, he's mayor of this small little town, got elected. And then from there, he became the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania, which he is now. And now he's trying to become the senator from Pennsylvania. And he's running against Dr. Oz. So you see that kind of trajectory. And then Andrew Gillum was in the, I think it was in college still, when he became a city councilman in Tallahassee. Then he became the mayor of Tallahassee. And then he tried to run for governor and failed. And that's where he's at now. A former uh, mayor, former failed governor candidate. But anyway, back to the point is, I really hope that Ron DeSantis does not leave the governorship for the presidency. That being said, like I said before, like other people have said, if 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 Trump runs, uh, he's going to be attacked. He's going to be attacked. He's going to be pilloried. They're going to continue doing what they're doing now. I mean, what they're doing now is unprecedented. This man really is the most investigated person in the history of our country, as far as I know. It's when you take into account who has been investigating him. He's been investigated by branches of the federal government ever since 2015. Since before he was the uh, candidate, he has been investigated. He has investigated before he was a candidate, during his campaign. I'm sorry, he was investigated before he was president, during his campaign, when a candidate. Investigated all through his presidency. Impeached after his presidency. And now he is uh, in the midst of another. Uh, the Letitia James, Attorney General of New York, has just filed a lawsuit against him. So this guy has been the most investigated person in history, as far as I can tell. That being said, if Donald Trump doesn't make it, if he doesn't run for president and DeSantis runs for president, guess what? They're just going to turn their guns on to him. They are going to focus on him and he's going to have all these investigations. This is not something that's just about Trump. This is about whoever is in, uh, in head coach of the anti-establishment team. Whoever is the one that's trying to lead grassroots uh, conservatives, whoever is the one who's trying to lead disaffected Democrats, whoever is the one who's trying to lead people who believe in the Constitution, whoever is the one who's trying to lead people who believe in limits on government, that person is going to get all of the fire that Donald Trump is getting right now. He's going to have a target. He or she is going to have a target painted on them, the same as Donald Trump has. They're just going to, like I said, they're going to move towards him and him or her and, and attack. So I don't know. I don't know how you answer it. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, social media, big entertainment, uh, sports entertainment. Everybody is allied, allied together against, uh, what do you call it? Constitutional Americans, let's say, people who believe in limited government, people who believe in uh, the individual liberty, people who believe that there is no uh, there is no one party that knows everything, that believes that there is a division of uh, believes in the uh, what do they call it? The separation of powers. If you believe in the separation of powers now, you are a bad person. Just recently, this judge, who now is probably being celebrated because she has now ruled against Trump, 
as far as some of the things that are going on with this ongoing investigation about the papers and the archives and blah, blah, blah. But when she first allowed the special master to come along, there were op-eds written about how, oh, the, the judicial system's out of control. We can't trust the judicial system to be to be unbiased. And, and so, like I said, constitutional beliefs, beliefs and limitations on government specifically are to be expunged from the minds of the citizens. People who go around believing that the Constitution is a viable legal document that limits government are the enemy. Those people are the ones. It doesn't matter if Donald Trump is leading them. It doesn't matter if it's Ron DeSantis leading them. It doesn't matter if it's somebody else that we don't even know of yet leading them. Those are the people who are need to be eliminated. Those are the people who in Joe Biden's name uh, in Joe Biden's world or the people who write Joe Biden's teleprompter, those are the domestic terrorists. Those are the people who need to be reined in. Those are the people who are the real dangerous ones because they don't believe in the hierarchy. They don't believe that the government knows best. They don't believe that there is this uh, oligarchy, for instance, of, you know, elites and then elites who choose uh, people to run for office and get them to run for office. And then elites who donate to politicians to have laws made to allow them to stay elites. Those That group doesn't want people around running around thinking that the Constitution somehow is on their side in a legal document which guarantees limits on the government. That is a bad thing. Um, I think it was... I think it was John Adams who said, or is it Thomas Jefferson that said the Constitution is is chains on the hands of man, meaning that the Constitution was specifically made to limit men because they knew men were not always going to be on the right side of uh, the right side of morals and the right side of ethical governance. They knew that there had to be laws to limit men because they knew men by by their nature would try to gain more power than they should and that's what the reason for the constitution was and that's why people who are in power now hate it because they don't think they should have any limits on their power they are tyrannical they fit in well with china they fit in well with putin they fit in well with uh you know regimes of old they do not think that they they should have anybody question their authority they are the smartest in the room people like barack obama doesn't need anyone to limit his power you know people like joe biden they don't know anything they're just told what to do but people like barack obama people uh you know uh people like bill gates you know even mark zuckerberg these guys they think they're the smartest people in the room and they should be allowed to manage your affairs they should be allowed to make the rules they should be allowed to tell you what you can drive. They should be allowed to tell you how much you can earn, how much you can keep. They should be the ones to tell you whether or not you can defend your family while they live in fortresses defended by walls and guns. They're the ones to pass judgment on you if you tried to do something like have a gun for yourself, defend yourself. They're the ones who uh, give money to elect DAs who turn around and let people loose on the streets all to undermine uh, natural order so then they can come in and exert more power and take over more. It's all in, it's all a, a sick cycle that they have. Anyway. Alrighty. What else? Oh, this is, this is from uh, Jeffrey Lord. Jeffrey Lord 
is a uh, columnist. He used to, I think he used to work in the Reagan administration. Anyway, JeffreyLord.com. Illegal immigrant border encounters soars to over 2 million for the first time ever. Border officials encountered more than 203,000 migrants attempting to illegally cross the southern border in August, bringing the annual total to more than 2 million for the first time ever, according to new data from the Customs and Border Patrol. Or sorry, Customs and Border Protection. It says, uh, for the first time, migrant encounters at the border have surpassed 2 million in one year. CBP reports there were 203,000 migrant encounters at the border in August, bringing the, the fiscal year 22 to 2,150,370, and there's still one month to go. As a reminder, these numbers do not include known gotaways, which DHS sources tell us are already well over 500,000 for fiscal year 22 so far. So the people who were not able to be encountered by the uh, Customs and Border Protection are 500,000. So that's 25, that's 2.5 million in in the country already uh, illegally crossing the border. And so what is the reason for all the border crossing? And why do we allow it to happen? Uh, The short answer is votes. The short answer is votes. The Democrats feel that these people who've crossed the borders, they can either play strategically in certain cities to flip states, or they can put these people into places that are known electorally to be in their favor and through the census build their power in Congress and electoral votes. So if you have illegal immigrant population of 2.5 million coming in this year, and let's say in Arizona, you have a purple state. It can go Democrat one year, one election cycle. Next election cycle, it may go Republican. You don't really know. You can take some of those people and ship them to different precincts. And they they've know how to do this. They're number crunchers, as they showed with getting Joe Biden elected. Despite all of the uh, inadequacies of Joe Biden personally, despite all of the uh, uh, the fervor for Donald Trump, despite all of the um, all of the uh, things that were going against it, Biden won, and they won by making votes happen in very key precincts throughout the country. And in the end, it was about forty thousand votes that swung the election to Donald Trump. And you say, well, that's not true because Joe Biden won by millions of votes. Yes, he did by millions of votes nationally. He did win. But when you look at the key precincts where they were able to put voters in, where they're able to get votes, it was about 40,000 votes in these key precincts across the United States and these swing precincts that were able to change the electoral uh, college into Joe Biden's advantage or make it in Joe Biden's advantage. So you take these 2.5 million, and like I said, you just find places to put them. And so you take Arizona, which is a purple state, and you say, well, now we sprinkle a little over here, and now it's a blue state. You take Pennsylvania, which goes back and forth, and you sprinkle a little bit over there, and now it's a blue state. Or what you do is you take California, which is never going to be uh, red, at least in the foreseeable future, because it is so far blue now and moving bluer and bluer every day. You sprinkle some of them over there, and then suddenly California, which is losing population now for the first time since it was a state in 1850, now it's losing population and losing electoral votes. So if you take California, which is a big state, and you add enough 
voters in there. When the census comes around, the census laws, uh, the Supreme Court ruled against Trump saying you could not ask in the census whether or not the people that lived in the House are citizens. So the census now counts illegals. Illegals are illegals. It doesn't matter their people. It doesn't matter if they're uh, here illegally. It doesn't matter if they're uh, good people. It doesn't matter if they're bad people. They're people. The census is going to count them. And so if you take all these people and you take them into a known commodity like New York or like uh, California, then suddenly the electoral uh, number can go up year by year because you just you're you're giving them more and more people. So that's the other reason. And then another reason is because they feel like these people eventually they're going to give man amnesty and these people are going to vote for the Democrats. That's just their belief because they go by the old machine politics uh way that they've been doing things ever since there was immigration starting in the United States. You know, people get off the boat literally and the local Democrat machine party is there to show them the way, give them a basket of goodies and say literally give them baskets and say welcome to america and here's your here's where you come to get more assistance and it's the it's the card for the local precinct you get them signed up as democrats and away you go so that's tammany hall right so this is the same thing that's been going on for forever as far as our country is concerned they're doing that and they think that's what's going to happen with these uh immigrants coming across the border that's the immigrants that are hispanic i assume because there's immigrants coming from across the border as we know they're coming from the middle east and coming from asia and coming from all over and actually uh, i was listening to radio the other day they said the cartels charge more money if you're coming across the border illegally to help you so the cartels now allow people to come over the border they 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 process them over the border. They smuggle them over the border. A lot of times they smuggle them in the backs of cars or however they do it. They get people over the border and it costs about $10,000 or $4,000. It depends, I guess. Well, if you're coming from Asia, for instance, it costs more to get across the border, but you can still do it, but it costs more. So people are coming from all over. This is not just uh, poor people from the triangle countries or wherever they call it that that are here trying to make a better life. These are potentially bad actors from all over the world who know that the open border, the southern border is open, and this is how you come into America. And there's been, you know, there's been reports of terrorists being found. I read an article the other day about how many terrorists, people they've known are on terrorist watch lists that have been found coming across the border. But this is the reason is because you're going to hopefully convert these people later on into voters. <clears throat> and you're also going to be able to bring them into the system, bring them into the welfare system, because these people don't have anything. They're poor. They're coming here, like I said, presumably to make a better life and they don't have anything. And you're going to give them this, uh, you know, all these government benefits. And then they're going to start having children and those children are automatically citizens because of our citizenship policy, which is insane. Uh, so you can be an illegal. You can come over here and have a citizen within one minute that, or have a baby. And within one minute, that baby is now a citizen, even though you just came across it illegally. Anyway, they think generation, generationally, those people are going to vote Democrat. But the actuality is there's been some change in that recently. And they're showing that a lot of Hispanics now are switching their allegiance to Republicans because be it that they may be Hispanic, be it that they may be potentially poor, uh, be it that they may be uneducated coming from the United coming to the United States. Once they get here, they live here, and they don't want crime in their neighborhoods. They want they don't want inflation, and they don't want uh, you know they don't want to be forced to buy an electric car either. 
So this idea that the Democrats have that they're going to bring them over here and they're going to give them all this stuff and they're just going to automatically vote Democrat generation after generation is not is not necessarily going to hold out. Because like I said, these people, whatever they may be, they're not foolish. Uh, there's some of them that are here that if the immigration policy was easier, they would have come here illegally. There's some of them who took advantage of the situation and just came over here illegally. Either way, people don't want to live in a crime infested neighborhood. People don't want to live in a uh, society where your grocery bill goes up uh, 100% from year to year. This whole thing about the inflation number being 13% is crazy. That is not true. There's no way the inflation is 8%, they say, I think they said. And then they say, well, if it's food, it's 13%. I don't know what numbers they're cooking, but the real inflation that people see is nowhere near 13%. Because if it was you wouldn't even really notice it. That means that if you bought something for a dollar last year, it costs $1.13 this year. Well, that's not what people are seeing. If you go buy things this year that were $1.50, potentially they're $3 this year. That's 100%. So wherever they're getting these numbers of 8% and 13%, these numbers are massaged, and these numbers are not the real numbers that people feel. I don't know where they get them, but they're not. I could do research on it, but I don't know where it's at. But I just know from firsthand experiences that they're not real. They're not real. Well, that's all for today. Thank you for listening. Go to drtommy.com slash podcast and subscribe where you're listening to this independent podcast. We appreciate you listening and you can share it with friends and that would be wonderful too. Uh, have a good weekend. Until next time. Bye-bye. 